Crash Course in History, session number two. This is Rabbi Blywise. Today we left with the question of um, the great mistake of history. Which generation, did anybody figure it out, made the big mistake in history? I mean, I'm drawing on the Rambam in the beginning of, of uh, Hilchus of Odazara. No, no. And you know, this, maybe it's not so well known, but it's the, it actually, you'd have to go down to the third generation. Uh, it would be Bidor Shel Enosh. In the generation of Enosh, Rambam writes, Tau, Tau's Gedola, they made a, the greatest mistake. What was the mistake in the days of Enosh? Oh, they started, uh, they started Vodazara. Right. That's when a came into the world. In a crash course in history, you have to at least include that mention. They actually did it L'Shem Shemaim. They looked at the star. They went up to David Hashem. Since everybody starts with the basic needs, so it's with a spark of, of spirituality. They want to connect with the creator of the universe, and and their zeal to try to connect to Hashem Baruch They went up to the heavens, and they got they got sidetracked, as it were. They got lost in the stars, and what started as an innocent mistake, as an attempt to serve Hashem, turned into something much more. And in later generations, uh, wholesale. Grade A of Odazara broke out and infected humanity. Uh, yeah, um, it was not a mean-spirited mistake. Most people in life seek meaning, and so most people in life seek the most immediate, quick fix, instant gratification kind of kind of meaning. Those of you who just wandered in, I I answered our riddle. Uh, from yesterday of which generation made the big mistake and it was not didn't take many generations with the Dorshal Enosh in the days of Enosh that they introduced the first low grade of Odazara and it went viral from that point and as we said people are seeking meaning in life um, Marx another Marx another uh, picking on Karl Marx again said that religion is the open of the ma- of the masses you've heard such a statement before yeah. yeah so it's a dismissive comment and it's also it's not accurate because Depends which religion, it's true. Some religions may be the open mouth. What he's dismissing is that religion is through simplicity for the simple-minded, but actually, no. Avodah Zara really is the, is the opiate of the masses. And to be precise, it's the most simplistic, oh, the tree bears fruit, let's worship the tree. The clouds, the clouds give us rain, let's worship this, the, 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 the sky or the clouds, the sun you shine, bright, 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 shines brightly in the sky, we'll worship the sun. That's the... That's the immediate opiate of the masses. Torah, in contrast, is totally sophisticated. We're given, we're given a, um, a Kaddish Baruch Hu, who we have very little we can, we can know about him. Uh, and by an immense leap of faith, we serve him. We serve him in the universe, but it's, it's profoundly intellectual. It's not at all for the simple-minded. And that's why our system, Torah, is, is intellectually based. Everybody is meant to learn Torah. So that was the generation, that was, as we left off yesterday, the big mistake of, of humanity that would go eventually viral. What were you going to say before? Somebody have a couple hands up. Uh, no, no, nothing, nothing in substance. Fine, fine. That was the big mistake. The mobble was caused by, Gorg, it's two causes. Um, it was semester not to know, um, petty theft, like, did What do they call petty theft? Then you have a name for it? It's a, it's a strangely, oh, oh. eerily, eerily common name. Go ahead, Daniel. Hamas? Hamas, which technically means, technically means that they stole less than a Shabbat pruta. That's why, that's why everybody could rationalize it. I stand, I stand by the vendor in the shuk, and I, I as you know, the, the stand that sells all the nuts and seeds. Yeah. And as you're walking, as I'm standing there trying to make my purchase, people are walking by grabbing seeds and helping themselves to it. And I asked the vendor, I said, did that bother you? He said, yes. Are you kidding? I lose so much money on that. What, I'm going to have an argument with everybody who takes a peanut? 
I'm not going to do that. That's exactly Hamas. And the people, at least a thief, could potentially make tshuva. But the guy who does Hamas, he's justified in his mind. He thinks what I'm doing is perfectly fine. That's the sin. There's another sin also, the generation of the Mabul. They were involved in every kind of arayos, yeah. but they were really held accountable for Hamas, because by Hamas they weren't going to make tshuva. Every kind of... Men, men took other men's wives, men took other... Men. Uh, men took men, women took women, men took animals. Everything was everything was was uh, hefker uh, in this in this generation. They were given the opportunity uh, to make tshuva. What's the problem with women? Oh, no. Women and women, it's durabana. Women and women is an issue durabana, and it contravenes mysebracious. Mysebracious was specifically men and women were created, as we said yesterday, two parts of feet, two faced, and and the whole the whole tachlis is that men and women are going to come full circle and be reunited. A woman, woman has nothing to do with that. It's durabana, and it doesn't involve because the mafarshim explained in the Gemara talks about it. Um, it doesn't involve any Misa. Nevertheless, it's prohibited. It it, it goes against everything the creation stands for. Um, Hashem wanted the world to make tshuva. Remember these constant themes that run through everything in history? Hashem wants people, give them a second, a third chance. That's why Noah builds the Teva for so many years, over a hundred years, and people still don't come around. But they, he wants a tshuva, and in fact, he keeps the world going as long as, I mean, you know this Medrash? There's a minion of tzaddikim in the world, and he's incredibly generous in counting the minion. He waits till the oldest recorded man finally dies. The oldest recorded man in history? Mesushelach, um, right? Or as they sang in Porgy and Beth, Methuselach, the 900 years, was it was like 969 years precisely. Uh, 969 years Mesushelach lived. When, how did he count? He even counted women in this minute. Egalitarian minion, no less. We just talked about the reform movement, right? So egalitarian minion, he counted Noah, his three sons, their four wives, Mesushelach, and Hashem, in his incredible generosity, even included himself, so you get a full ten. And then when Mr. Shalaf died, there was no hope for humanity. Nobody, nobody, nobody makes tshuva. It's still a hundred years. That's true. That's true. And the mabul comes, and the mabul comes and doesn't destroy the world. In fact, it saves the world. What do I mean? The way to look at the mabul is it doesn't destroy the world. It saves the world. From from um, it saved man from himself. It doesn't destroy the world. Because because we learn through the model that there's a limit, and in fact, everybody in the world has this. Do you know that there is a model myth? The flood is a myth in almost every culture. If anybody do a a, a study of other cultures in the world, you will find probably the most famous uh, model myth. You know, Greek mythology. But there's 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 uh, there's more. What they call the epic of. Gilgamesh. Have you heard of such a thing? It's an ancient, it was discovered in the 19th century, but it's ancient Babylonian text, Nippur text, where they actually talk about the flood. Now, of course, they changed the detail because each society was pagan and had their own nuttiness, but the common link in all of these is that there was a major flood. The humanity went, went against the God figure and, and flooded the world, which makes a tremendous amount of sense from our perspective because the flood really happened. They just forgot all the details because they don't have a Torah. They don't have a Messiah, a tradition to sustain it, so they each one, like a telephone operator game took it in their own way. Uh, so you will find, this is, I think, very impressive, you will find, therefore, if you in research ancient cultures, you'll find a flood myth in Assyrian culture, Eskimos, Indians, Chinese, Hindu Puranic story of Manu, the Greeks you mentioned already, uh, Indonesians, New Zealand, Incas, Polynesians, American Indians, Malaysians, and almost every culture under the sun. The only culture, in fact, that with, without a Mabul myth that runs into their culture, anybody know this? Fascinating detail. No, 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 no. 
most African cultures lack a marble, uh, a marble, and you know how this is explained. Remember, Victor Miller gives a fantastic explanation. Who's their ancestor? Who's their ancestor of Africans? Ham. Ham, who doesn't come out looking so good after that whole story. Ham, remember of, well, it's not so clear whether he sodomizes or castrates your old dad. Right? Ham, who does not fare well in that whole story. What's his motivation? Why castrate the old man? Why? What was that about Rashi? Because he didn't want him to have any more sons. Right, because he was competitive. If the world now is going to be inherited, we're going to split it three ways. Well, if dad has a fourth, fifth, sixth, five, baby, uh, then, then we our portion becomes smaller. That was Ham, that was Knan. Knan, their ways were evil. That's why they had to be eradicated later on when the Torah is given. We learned that the Knanim are... Um, have to be totally wiped out because their ways are evil. They, they were five mitzvahs that the Canaanites were supposed to transmit, hate people, steal from them. It was, it was, it was anti, antithetical to everything the Torah stands for. Um, and that was Ham's spirit, and it's interesting that they don't have a... They don't have a uh, they don't have an institution. That's one. That's one detail about them. Yes. By the way, I'm talking a lot, and I, I'm kind of charged up and excited by this. We're doing as best we can to rampage this, but don't feel that I, I, you know, I'm a train wreck with that. That 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 won't be stopped. You can talk and ask as we go, as we go. We're loose enough here that uh, that you can certainly chime in, please. Um, it says that like, um, like uh, sodomized his father. Or that's one shot. Right. Um, Whether both things happened, yeah. But was it? Gemara and Sanhedrin like, the Rashi is quoting. Tom was already like he knew what he was doing, didn't he? Like, oh yeah. Seems like that. He was trying to make a point that there's not there are no limits in the world. There are no boundaries. If there was a reason for him to castrate Nayak, not for him to castrate Nayak, for him to have children, what was the reason for Tom? Um, to show that there's no boundaries. That's what I said. To, that's what I said to Eitan. To, to prove in the world doesn't matter what you do. It's, it was it was more an ideological statement. Why does Noach get up and say Aruknan? That's kind of weird. If Ham the father did it, why did Knan? So Knan, if you count it, is the fourth son of Ham, the fourth son that Noach will never have himself. Realizing the connection, Noach being a smart man, and realizing the implications of everything. Um, Louder? Yes, they did. Uh, midstream comes from almost certainly, but you can check this on me. All of that is explicit in the psukim by Parshas Noah. You can look it up. The Mabul, the Mefarshim tell us, the Swar, the Ramban, and others tell us actually changed the whole nature of the world. Anybody who knows me a little bit and you've been around me, especially probably my, my morning shear, have heard me say this. It's such a defining point of history. If you don't appreciate this, uh, get, the, get this idea down. Nature changed because before the flood in the antediluvian world, antediluvian is a fancy yeah. world, it just means before the flood, SAT word. The, uh, so before, before the flood, um, the world was really nice. It was a constant vernal equinox, meaning it was always springtime. No fluctuations of weather. Uh, the world was perfectly uh, at an angle with the sun, so it was always nice. And that had huge physical and spiritual ramifications. When you live in a healthier world, you're spiritually more healthy. When um, you ate an apple before the flood, it sustained you, don't know, a week, a month. It was fine. It was perfectly perfect nutri nutrients. Therefore, not coincidentally, after the flood, there's a new innovation for humanity. Kaddish Baruch permits this uh, in a way that we didn't need this. We didn't rely on this previously. What am I thinking of, of course? eating food. We, we were previously herbivores, and after the flood, in the post-Diluvian world, suddenly now people are carnivores. We eat meat to supplement our now flawed, deficient diet. 
Because the world, the flood made the world tilt on its axis. The flood makes the world stand still. And everything changes from that point. If you notice another illustration, hold the thought for a moment, Eitan, if you, if you notice this, um, how old were the people before the flood? 500 years. Not quite a thousand years. Adam Arishon lived 930 years. He could have lived a thousand, but he was very generous. He sliced off 70 and gave them to? David Amel, if you know the Medrash, sure. And Mr. Shalak, who just said 969, but suddenly the flood comes and goes. Everybody who's from before the flood, this is the Ramban, we did, we, where's Ari, there we go. Ari, we did this Ramban right before. After the flood, you start to see that the years taper off. They start to go down. Shem is about 500 years. And by the time of Dor Peleg, he's only a couple hundred years. Because the world's a less healthy place. The world, we said this argument yesterday, human waste comes in with sin. Remember, achet gorem is the common theme through all of history. Sin di dictates things. That means we're going to have shorter life expectancy. That means our lives are going to be less healthful. All of these things are interconnected. It's all because of sin. Yeah. Um, why did Hashem choose to end the world with a flood? Why didn't he just go... Water, water is um, a great... I mean, there's so much you can say to all of this. I'll give you one answer. Water is the source of life and therefore also simultaneously the source of death. Look at the poor Israelis right now who are trying to bail out their houses. Do you know what's going on in Ashkelon? Ashkelon's totally flooded because of the last rains. And water, this gentle little, like, little droplets, right? There's nothing to it. Is the most destructive force in nature. Anybody ever have problems with mold and mildew? Right? It's terribly corrosive. It destroys things. It's little harmless water. So water is our life source. You can't live without it. It's also the, the ultimate source of destruction. Right? And it's simultaneously both. That's the way the world is. The world is raw matter. It's not evil. It's not inherently good. It's what people do with it. If we want to use the world for proper things, we can have water. We can use it to hate. And if you want to use it for destructive things, the country is going to take water and slap us in the face with it. Yeah? Um, so you said that it, like, there, there was never change in, uh, like, Weather so, now, like, I, ne I never heard that before, so you know how scary it was when the water just started falling from the sky. Yeah. And water just started erupting from the ground. And then, you know what? Part another theme throughout history, it wasn't too late at that point either. Had they made even at that point, it would have worked. It would have held. And we're going to see this with the, with the destructions of the 1st and 2nd Temple. It's exactly the same. All the way to the end, the cavalry could come riding and we're like, we're set in our ways and we have our comfort zones. We don't like to leave so much. And that's the nature of humanity. But we're, you, you cannot learn Torah. You cannot learn Talmud. You can't learn any of our holy texts without realizing its, its immense immediate relevance to our lives today. If you're picking this up, and this is part of the meta theme of, of the history, it's better when I do it, when I, when I can do it in 130 sessions, but I'll try to cram it in now as well, um, is you see that everything is so that we can fix ourselves. That we could make ourselves and the world around us a better place. Jeremy? If we're supposed to learn from the past, by, the, by even the second base of Mikdash, should they have looked at the model and looked at the first? You'd think! Dense! Right! You'd think they would have learned a lesson, yeah? So, what are you going with this? Why didn't, like, right! Why don't we? Oh. No? We're setting our ways. Tomorrow, I'll get to it. I'm busy. I got my phone, I'm busy, you know, don't, I, I don't know. Do we have to have all the Jews do it? Like all the you know, I don't know, yeah, there has to be something like that, but we got to start with ourselves. And we got our own litany of, uh, of, of rationalizations why we don't. Right? So that's what we're supposed to learn. We're supposed to be inspired by, the, by these things. And there are, Baruch Hashem, there are some amazing role models who did turn their lives around. Who are the great Balei Tshuva of, of history? Who, do you, who comes to mind when you think of, when you think of Balei Tshuva? Rabbi Kiva is a great example. Rabbi Menashe 
No, of history I'm talking about? History of Rishul Lakish? Well, you're part of the history. Oh, you're all part of the history. Fine, fine, fine. No, 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 seriously, seriously. Rishul Lakish? Rishul is a great example. Fantastic example. Good, good, good. Okay, what about the Tanakh? You don't know your Tanakh at all? If you don't know your Tanakh, if you don't know your Tanakh, so stick with me. I hope to do this more quickly, more efficiently. But today and Sunday and Monday, I hope to rampage through all of Tanakh. So you should at least have a working knowledge of the basic highlights of Tanakh. Uh, to, to, so Rus is, is about, she's a she's a gioris, she's a, she's a convert, but she's absolutely in that level. She changes her life around for sure. That's Chuba. Um, I was going to say let's throw out a few. Um, Yeshayahu, Yoshiahu Amelach. That that's a name that means means oh, something yeah, to like somebody. Right Classic, one of the great Baal Chuba revolutions in history. Uh, let's bring it up at the contemporary level. Anybody here of Rav Yosef Ben Maimon, one of the descendants of the Rambam, goes out to the holy community of Bukhar. Any any Bukharian Jews here? No, no, Bukhar. We have some in Yeshiva. Sam, no, we have a few. few. Sam is. Sam, Sam is. Right. So, so the community of Bukharia was was isolated and disconnected from Torah. And a couple hundred years ago, a descendant of the Rambam went out and, and led a whole Baal Chuba movement. Anybody connected to Crimea? The Jews of Crimea, same story about a hundred years ago, this, the um, Stei Chemed. I know it's a camp, but before there was a camp, there was a great uh, figure by the name of the book, the Stei Chemed. He went out to Crimea and Bali Chuba there. We've had, Baruch Hashem, lots of examples of great holy people, individuals, communities, who've turned around and, 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 uh, and, and rebuilt their lives. That's the spirit of the history. Go ahead. A flood myth. And but if you had like the entire world was destroyed, everyone in the planet except for one family, and then the rest of the world comes from that family, so it it seems kind of obvious that the entire world would have the yes. entire world would would have a, a myth. That's what he's trying to say. Correct. Yeah. Correct. If it's true, and we of course hold it is true, but in other words, the fact that they all have this myth kind of reinforces the, right. the veracity right. of it. Yeah. The next major event in history, I'm skipping a lot. You'll forgive me. If there's something you want me to address, by all means tell me to, because this is not set in stone what we're talking about. Um, but the next major thing I'm going to talk about is Dor HaFlaga, the door of the dispersion. Right? They, they celebrate, what is it, what do they, what is they symbolize? The celebration of human prowess and ingenuity. We can do anything we want. It's alive and well, these, these, these ideas in the world. All you have to do is walk around major metropolitan cities in the world. You walk around Manhattan, anybody walk around Manhattan? Yeah. Look at the sk sky skyscrapers all around you. You think, wow, people. Amazing. Look what we can build. And it is, it is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing what we're capable of. What? If you're looking up. If you look up. Uh, yeah, that's true. Good hey. point. Thank you. Good observation. like that. Yeah. Yeah. But look down to look all around. People are pretty impressive. You must say. We are created with that divine spark. So it helps. So they were. They got too full of themselves. The Dorha Floga. Uh, technological advancement over spirituality. And so they were so set on their goals, the Medrash tells us that as they were building the tower, they're going to confront the Kaddish Baruch and go to war with Hashem himself. They were so set on completing that tower, when a brick fell, they were distraught. They were completely out of sorts. When a person fell, okay, so much collateral damage. That was the nature of, the, of this generation. They were amoral. Morality was besides the point. They were too goal-oriented. On a certain level, let me let me let me let me just let me get this. The idea on a certain level, um, it's interesting. As horrific as this generation sound, and they sound pretty low. Chazal liked them better than the Dora Mabul. Why? Because because at least we were unified. At least we played nicely in the sandbox. On some level, we were able to get our act together. Dora Mabul, they were backstabbers. Literally, they, dra they, they stole each other's wives, they stole each other's sunflower seeds, they stole everything. They didn't really care about the other person. At least the Dora Flaga cared about other people. At the end of the day, Kodesh Baruch Hu wants us to take care of one another. 
And that's, that, 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 that's a major message. So what does he do? He sends them scattering, and this is now the invention of 70 languages. We all, we all go to the 70 corners of the, of the universe, and there's 70 languages. Uh, we'll talk about the advent, you know, the languages. The original language, of course, is Lashon Kodesh, right? The Lashon Kodesh, it's from the family of Shem and Aver. Aver is a source of Ivris. Uh, and in fact, it represented a Masorah. Do you know that before the Torah was in the world, there was a tradition? Adam Arishan was brilliant, and he learned an actual tradition. It included several laws. It included the, the stories of creation, and he transmitted to the tzaddikim in later generations. Shem and Aver had the first yeshiva in history, and they learned the tradition from, from Adam Arishan. It wasn't very popular. It was often this. Where was the yeshiva Shem and Aver? We mentioned this before. Where was it located? In, um, it was in... It's the beginning of this week's Parsha Rivki. Imenu goes there by Yidrosh. Vatelech Lidrosh is Hashem. It says at the end of the first Aliyah uh, that we read on Monday morning. Vatelech, she goes to. Oh, you probably haven't heard of it. It's a small, out of the way place. They call it Harabais. Oh, boy. It's the holiest place in the universe. I'm going to show you pictures next week uh, of what it looks like today. The, um, I showed you at the very first Arab Shabbos that we were together. Anybody remembers the pictures that I wrote? I'll, I'll, I'll pull some pictures out of that. Very interesting place. So um, that's the Yeshiva Shem and Aver. That's where she goes to inquire of Hashem. And, um, and people went to learn this. They learned the, they learned the original language. Um, the academics sometimes claim there were other languages that the original, some say Egyptians or, or other ancient scripts preceded Hebrew. Um, but say this to refute them. Only Lashon Kodesh, only Ivris with its 22 uh, letters, um, have each one of those letters, each of them has a name. The name is the letter. In fact, the letter is shaped like the name. Uh, the Aleph, for example, is an ox. Not all these words are used in modern Hebrew, but originally Aleph means ox, and it looks like an ox. If you look at the actual letter, that's how it was drawn. Lamed means cattle. Why is this an impressive point? It's impressive because no other ancient language you can say that about. In fact, Greek has 22 letters. Ancient Greek has 22 letters. Alpha, beta, gamma, and so on. But it has no meaning in Greek. So which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did the Hebrew aleph, aleph base come before Greek? Obviously. If only in Hebrew, the letters mean what they sound like, and in Greek they don't mean anything. Clearly, Greek was a derivation of Lashon Kodesh. There is a whole school of thought in the world today that, um, that says that, that tries to argue, and I think you could poke holes in the, in the theory, but it's compelling anyway. Anybody wants a longer version of any of the stuff that we're talking about, I'm giving you this all as a crash course. That's why I'm trying to speak so fast. I'm going to get it all in. If any of these little details are interesting, and some of this is really great, uh, send me an email, and I'll send you an elaborated, a sheer version of this. But there are those who say that there are over 200,000, no, 20,000 English words that they can directly trace to Hebrew roots, and some of them are pretty compelling. I'll give you, I'll give you a few examples. This... I, ayin. Okay, some of them are obvious. Um, uh, if you go on a, a, a tour in Eretz Israel, anybody know how to say that in Hebrew? Tour. La tour to Eretz. That's what the Meraglim do. Um, peros in English. Ferut. Perot. Ferut. Uh, evil avel. Cry kriya. Uh, lick likake scale. Shekel. Oh. Earth, Aretz. Wine, Yain. Derech, Direction. Derech, Direction. Okay, interesting. Very compelling ideas. If you know anything about linguistics, they're very interesting. Idea, Yidia. Idea, Yidia. 
source, shorish, and on and on and on and on and on. Many, many such examples. The original language, I didn't give you a chance, a couple of you had questions over here? I talked it out of you? Okay, fine. Nimrod was the, was the, uh, the leader of this generation of dispersion. Um, he actually stole the garment that, uh, that Hashem made for Adam. And then what happened? Asav later murders Nimrod, leaves it in his closet for this week's parsha for Rivka to dress Yaakov to deceive Yitzchak to get the bracha. Yaakov takes that same garment and gives it to Yosef. Walking along the banks of the river. No, 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 Throughout history, there are patterns in history. There are various elements and objects that actually wend and wind their way through all of history. And Melech HaMashiach will one day rise up and wear that exact same garment wow. that was worn by all these tzaddikim. What else do we have that winds its way through history? Shvulachem Po. Avram Avinu tells his two assistants, Eliezer and, and Yishmael, Shvulachem Po Imha Chamor. Anytime it says Hachmor with Eha Yidiyah, with the hay, it's the donkey. It's the same donkey that also winds its way through history. Bilaam's donkey, Hach Echamor, and it's the same donkey. It's the same donkey that Mashiach will ride, the Mate. The Excalibur myth is based on the Mata, the staff. Moshe extracts it from the ground. That's where it comes from. It passes to Aaron. Aaron throws it down. It becomes a snake. The same staff winds its way through. It's the staff, the Shlom, the scepter, the Shlomo holds as the king. Uh, it's one of those things, I'm going to get to this, that's buried under Harabais, either that or the, Babyl or the Babylonians stole it when they destroyed the first temple. So the fact that we have these elements and there are more that actually wind the way through history, all of which one day will be in the hands of the Mashiach, tells us of the intrinsic connectedness of all of history. That's what Chazal is trying to convey to us. Everything has a purpose. Everything's going to come out. Um, the, all of the objects that were created in the Divus Net, Excuse me, by the Jews and creating the Mishkan, the sanctuary, and the desert. For those elements that Shlomo Melch didn't need in building the base of Mikdash, he hid the rest underground under the Temple Mount, lost his love for the future generations because Hashem loves everything built Hashem Shemayim. And every single mitzvah that every one of us does, also, and every tear that a person sheds in tefillah, will also be served in somehow building the stones of the base of Mikdash. It's all here for a purpose. You have to realize the meta significance of our lives. What's that? Um, it's a lot. It's all there underground. The Gemara Yuma elaborates. It's all there are all these tunnels underground that are that are that are waiting. Uh, and, and, and we'll get to this soon. I'm going to talk about David and Shlomo, and and we'll see what was what was preserved there. The Rambam. Uh, many have tried. Many have tried. Few are here to talk about their adventures. Um, the, I mean, the technical political answer is because in 1967, Moshe Dayan, the defense minister, gave the keys of the um, of the kingdom of the of the Harabais of the Temple Mount or Haram El Sharaf, if you want in Arabic. I guess you don't want the. Um, uh, he gave that to the Waqf, which is the Muslim religious authority, and they've held them ever since then. And they're kind of allergic to people who come in and try to dig down there. They won't let it. 
Uh, other things have happened as a result. Uh, other, other travesties have happened because Jews are digging in places where the Arabs don't want us to. In any case, all of which is really under HaKadosh Baruch's watchful eye. When, it's good, when he's good and ready, in other words, when we're good and ready, when we've made proper tshuva, then all of these goodies, all these hidden treasures will be there. My, my understanding is that's all for the best. HaKadosh Baruch has his own time, time scheme. I passed out my, uh, my timeline yesterday. That's, that's Bleiweiss's, that's flawed and finite. HaKadosh Baruch has his own timeline. When he wants the, all these, you know what's really under the Temple Mount? And what, what other te- treasures are under the Temple Mount that are really exciting? Oh, we're talk about among other things, Indiana oh, Jones. Yeah, Indiana Kodesh. Jones, eat your heart out. The Aaron Kodesh. Go to the one day. It's Machlokus in the Mission Yuma. But go to the one day. The Aaron Kodesh itself is down there. And you know what would happen if right now they would ex- excavate it? The Israelis Antiquities Authorities, uh, not our best friends in the world, would excavate it and put it in a glass box in a museum somewhere. Chas v'shalom Do you remember all those evil Nazis melting at the very end of, Indra- of Raiders of the Lost Ark, don't you? Right? Not a good fate for any nice Jewish boy. I thought you Right. How would you get it to a museum? Right. I don't know. I'm just I'm just speculating that there would be there would be lots of misfortunate events that would happen if they excavated before its time. Hashem plans the universe. He'll make everything come out in its in his own good time. So the fact that people lament, oh, we have no access to Harabites, when we get there and excavate there, Baruch Hashem for the time being, we're probably not worthy for such a task. Do we, uh, do we know where it is? Or not? Machlokas Tanaim and also Amarayim. Go look it up in Yuma. I'll give you the sources if you're interested. It's a really interesting um, story. There's one view that all of this was carted off to Babel, and there it sits underground in uh, it was ancient Babylon, today's Iraq, and it stays underground together with the rest of Saddam Hussein's weapons of mass destruction. Which should they ever find them? And uh, the other view is that they are under Harabais. That's the more compelling view in my view, in my in my opinion. Not that I know anything. And, um, and we'll have to see. Well, stay tuned. Fasten your seatbelts for Mashiach to come, and we'll all see history unfold in its, in its dramatic Wasn't fashion. Wasn't it also a theory the, that it's under the old yeah. cathedral or whatever No, those are all foreign theories. We go with Chazal. They, they teach us things. Wait, Everything else, be, be, be skeptical, be very skeptical. We go with the conspiracy theory. That's why Vatican has a lot of... Sure. Sure. And if you believe that, I got some swampland in Florida. The Rambam tells us that the Avodah Zarah of these days multiplied in the world in the first 20 generations of humanity, the first 2,000 years of history. Because remember the long, the long lives that people were living, it lasted over 2,000 years until finally the Amudah Shal Olam was born, the pillar of the world, of course, Avram Avinu. After he was weaned as a youth, he began to search night and day. He started at three, culminated in a process at, at the age of 48. And he was wondering, he looked at the sky, he was wondering about those constellations. He's a very smart man, very observant. He really knew, and he was three years old, and he looked up and he said, why do they keep rotating in that very familiar pattern? It's all arbitrary. My dad says, my dad has a pagan shop. He says that it's all an accident. But that doesn't make sense. How about those beautiful trees on the, on, 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 those trees with all their leaves that they, they do this, they, 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 they seem to, and, and the bees and the honey and all the, the ecosystem and everything just works. And look at childbirth, look at everything, the wonders of creation. And you know what he did? He figured out God's shots. You know that Abba Vinu knew all the Torah because he figured it out? We're not on that level of, of brilliance. But he could figure out the Torah by looking in the world. By 48, he, connect, he, he recognized that Baruch was in the universe, and he recognized his life mission to spread the knowledge of Hashem. He's the pillar of the world. He's the beginning of the waking up. In fact, the Gemara divides world, all of world history into three units. The first 2,000 years, the world was originally chaos. The 2,000 years are defined by Chazal as chaotic. Without somebody like Avram Avinu to be of his stature to be in the world to recognize, to reconnect with the Baruch Hu, the world is in a state of chaos. 
the second unit of time from Avram Vinu down to what's the next 2,000 years down to? Anybody know this? It's a famous Gemara. It's called the period of Torah. Avram begins the process of history called Torah. So that's pretty good. We've only uh, done one and a half days. We're already, we're already one third of the way through history. Uh, not fair because the other the, 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 the second two chapters first, get are much longer. It's the first uh, base mikdash. Um, it's not. It's much later. If you go back, look at the timelines. Anybody want their timelines back? You have a timeline, please take. So two thousand years. Two thousand years later would take us to about whose generation? Much, much after. It's after Bayashani's destroyed. After after Bayashani's destroyed. Nobody knows. No, it's down to the finishing of the Mishnah under the leadership of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, that's 2,000 years, that's Torah. Torah is finally, the period of Torah is defined by the conquerization of the Ardi tradition. What's that? It ends with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi. That's the next unit. And the final unit of time, the last third of history, are called, the Gemara calls it, Yemosa Mashiach. That begins with Rabbi Yehuda Nasi and extends till our days, and uh, they should, they should, they should uh, reach, reach their pinnacle soon. Um, about, about that. Uh, yeah. Part. Mm -hmm. So we have until six thousand years from Mashiach to come. How does it work? It's not exactly known. If you want to learn about the no, end I'm of days and David, 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 I know you're very intrigued by. The, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, you're very intrigued. It's all timing in life. The uh, it's it, we're very intrigued by such questions. Um, the basic address. I didn't tell you this. I should have the other day in in, in Ashkafashir. Um, the place to go is Golan Perak It's the most gavaldik Perak. You'll you'll. It's endlessly deep and broad and rich. Um, I don't know of anybody teaching it, but you could ask. What's it called? It's the last chapter, although if you look at Tosavos, it might be the penultimate chapter of Masechet Sanhedrin. Uh, in the order of the Gemaras we have it, it's the last chapter, Perik and it deals with all of these themes. It's the authoritative place that gives you a lot of contradictory, confusing uh, discussions on Mashiach. And if I, if we get to this, I'm not sure at this stage we'll get there, but if we actually do rampage through all of history, we'll, we'll, I'll talk about it briefly as well. The um, Avram Vina looked up at Kadesh Baruch and he realized the universe all connected to one divine compassionate creator, who we don't know very much about, but one thing we can deduce is that he gives. He gives life, he gives us He gives us an amazing life, and he's incredibly kind. And Avram was very grateful for the kindness, and he wanted to return the favor. And you can't give to Kaddish Baruch, and those of us learning Kiddushin, realize we can't stand when a Kaddish Baruch Hu walks in the world, we can't present a glass of water to Kaddish Baruch Hu, but we can when our parents do, or when our Rebbe does. And so Avram Vina said, you know, if I can't repay the kindness that I owe my life to Hashem, I'm going to do it by repaying people. And Avram's meat is chesed. He got out and he invited people over for dinner and they'd have Monday night, ooh, it's, it's meatloaf night at Avram and Sarah's house. And everybody came. The Meiri says half the generation was makarad by Avram Avinu. They all started to, to come close to Kodesh Baruch and he did it by, by stuffing them. He went and he put out a big spread on the table. It's all about the food. Everybody in the Kirub knows that. It's all about the food you put out. And people said, and people said, wow, Sarah, what a lasagna. It's amazing stuff. And Avram would get them in the conversation, the Gemara tells us, also in Perikhelik. And, and he said, well, you know, she made, she puts a mean lasagna together. But you know, the person who provides the raw ingredient, the one who provides one of that, that's a Kodesh Baruch Who's that? And he'd get them in the conversation. And one thing led to the other and they started to recognize the Kodesh Baruch in the world. He makarib half the universe. If Avram makarib them, then how come the ones who are hidden are the direct descendant line of... No, none of them are... None of them are... Well, that Shabbos wasn't bad, no? You get so much food you're talking about. You get 40 kicks out of the only people who are Jewish... Gross after a while, right? ...are directly related to Avram. Who can directly... The problem, why didn't the entire world turn from in the days of Avram Avinu? And the answer is there was not a Torah system in effect yet of transmission. Because it's one thing to teach...
teach and be, you know how people, you get in conversations with people who say, oh, well, I'm a naturally good person, and sometimes they are. But that's not enough. You've got to be nat- you've got to be more than naturally good. You've got to transmit that to your kids. The only proven system of transmission is what we call Torah, and that only came with with Nasiv and Nishma by Harsinai, and only only from that point was it, because all those other people seemed to within a couple generations all the pharaohs, all the paros in Egypt were from of Avram's day. They all they all eventually. But they all went off the derech. There was no, there was no system to keep them in, 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 in order, and therefore they left eventually, and their descendants went off, went off the derech. Yeah. Besides, for uh, like Judaism by Har uh, Sinai, everyone was there together. Yeah. Word for word, uh, the Torah. But so by Abraham, it looks like the same thing by the other religions. How like Abraham was like. Abraham was by himself. He was the one who saw Hashem. Yes. He was by himself. Ah, ah. So we don't rely on Abraham. Abraham was the first, but we rely on, we talked about this yesterday, the collective revelation at Har Sinai. Um, that was really where it all began. And we're going to get there shortly. And I'm going to talk about this because you asked the question. I'll address it. Um, from that point on, it was all of us together. And from that point on, we've been transmitting it every year by our Pesach table. And every time we, a father sits and learns with his son, is transmitting it. That was started by a group. And that can't be replicated. No other religion can say that. This is the Kuzari. This is the Kuzari's powerful, famous argument. There's no such thing as collective revelation in any other religion. We had that. And it didn't depend on one person. Avram started the process, but it, the culmination was Harsina. Uh, I heard there's one religion in India where, like, where they, they, they say that, like, mm. like they were, uh, I forget how many, like, like five they, 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 they want to say it's comparable? No, well, no, there, there were, like, five million people there or something, and then everyone died and one person survived. Okay, so you take their word for it. You know, we don't know. We don't take, we don't take one person's word for it. We have a Messiah. Yeah, we no, have a tradition. But they, they, say, they say that they also had a national revelation of all Avram makes a covenant called the Bris Avos by the Bris Benavitarim, right? The, the the covenant between the parts. This is this is an establishment. This is going to be renewed with Yitzchak and Yaakov. It's the thread that lasts through history. It's despite the odds, we're going to be a voice of goodness in humanity. And it doesn't make any sense. What Sarah's going to have babies? She's going to nurse babies? Yeah, well, actually, she's going to nurse the entire generation's babies because nobody, que- everybody questioned that it was really Sarah Yemenu until she actually uh, nursed everybody. Everybody's babies, um, but you know that's the nature of history too. To a large degree, everything happens. The avos is a paradigm of what would happen to the, all of us through all of history. So they went against the odds. It was impossible. You're going to convert the world to believe in a kaddish baruch Well, yeah, as a matter of fact, that's what Avram does. And Sarah is going to have a baby. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it does. And you read today the more secular um, statistics. You've heard this before. The demographic studies of the Jewish people. Do you know that we're dying out? Yeah. You've read, this, you've read, the, you've read the, the hysterical, uh, the, the stats that every Jew is intermarrying and so on. Only we're not. We're fine. There's always a vibrant core. And look at the, I'll show you this. You've seen the list. It's on Rabbi Salinger's door downstairs in Laufer. You've seen that one? You know what I'm talking about? Where the, it's true. The secular and the reform, it's true. They're all dying out. And most of them aren't even Jewish authentically anyway. Not most, but a lot of them. Uh, and, um, but you look at the, you look already into the Orthodox graphs. And we're replicating far beyond our numbers. And Baruch Hashem, there's a vibrant core. And the Kaddish Baruch promised anyway by um, after after the Chaita uh, Egel that we would survive. And Avram signifies that we stand up against we stand against all of history. We're not there's a, there's a name of a book called the Ever Dying Jewish People because sometimes the Doomsday Sayer like say Oh no the Jews are not going to last so much longer. Yeah you were okay, we're fine. What's that? Well, there's a vibrant core, for sure. And we've always had that. Leonhard. 
Yitzchak represents, he's the quiet, least known of the Avos, but he's the stalwart, strong, low-profile Jew who, who is Gvura because nothing will get him. You remember the story? It's in this week's Parsha. Everything's in this week's Parsha. Whatever week you are in the year, you realize this is always in Parsha. And by Yitzchak Avinu, they come and they attack him, those, those pesky plishtim. They were the enemies throughout much of the time of the Bible, the, the Philistines. Um, their name's been retained. The people died out. The, the police team the, uh, and the, the police team went whenever Yitzchak moved and they filled in his wells remember this story? Yeah. what's Yitzchak's response? he shrugged his shoulders and moved away and built new wells and the police team followed him and they filled in his wells again and his response? he shrugged his shoulders and moved away and dug more wells until finally the police team said we can't get this guy he's too strong for us meaning He's so strong. He doesn't go to war. He's not macho. He doesn't do any of the things that we associate with strength. But after, after all, as the sign across from you says in Perkei Avos, Ezehu Gibor, what's the truth sign of strength? You can look right behind you. A Kovish is So somebody who conquers his Yitz, or somebody who's spiritually strong, Yitzchak represents that throughout history. We win through history. This is a constant thing. Get this idea. We win when we survive. <laughs> Look at the Mark Twain quote we started with yesterday. They all came, made a big noise. They, they persecuted us and they, they had the Spanish Inquisition and the Smolensky massacres and they put us in gas chambers. They did every possible abomination you could possibly do to the Jewish people. And they're not around much more and we're here. We're surviving. And that's a message that you see in major critical times in history at the end of the Second Temple period. You'll forgive me for mixing a little bit of history just to, just to point out some of the themes. This is a big one. In the Second Temple period, at the very end, there were people who were fanatical. They're called the Zealots sometimes. It's hard, both not fair translations, the Kanaim. Uh, they wanted to fight. And they didn't ask the rabbis what they should do. And the rabbis said, don't fight. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, who was the Gadol Hador in those times, he said, if it's not the way, you're not going to win against the Roman Empire. They're much mightier than you. You fight, they're going to wipe us out. They're going to destroy the temple. But the people thought, you know what? What do you mean? Sit and learn Torah? We can't do that. We've got to take matters into our hands. We're going to fight, be belligerent. We're going to oh, go to war. Sounds very familiar, no? And the Gedolim all said, we win when we survive. And what does Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai say famously? When the Romans ask him, when Vespasian gives him an offer, he says, what would you like? He says, Margitin, Tenli, and not for the three things, just the punchline, Tenli, Yavna, V'chachameha. I want a small, inconspicuous corner of the universe, the city of Yavna, where there's base Medrash. We have Torah, we'll survive. The Jews win when we survive. Rav Shach said something along the same lines in the, in the modern day, Rav Shach. Um, was not a fan of the settlement movement. He said, because it's going to make us too high profile. It's gonna, it means that we're going to be landed. If we go and settle these, I know I'm getting political and controversial, but history's like that too. The, uh, we're going to go and we're going we're to be in the West Bank, what they call the West Bank, Yudav Shomron, and they're going to put us on the front page of the New York Times and it's not going to be favorable. Jews win when we're quiet, when we're off the radar, off the, off the, uh, off, out of the attention uh, span. We, just, we, we go about doing our quiet acts of chesed and kindness and goodness, that's what the Avos stand for. No, but we, no, there were times. There were times that the Jews, the, 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 the silent Jews, like Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai, right, quietly learning Torah, doing his, doing his own thing and surviving. And that's what Yitzchak, to a large degree, represents. Yaakov represents the culmination. He's called the Bacher, the chosen of the Avos. He was the one without blemish. He was the one who had only pure, holy, holy descendants. After all, Avram had Yishmael, who was uh, who the Medrash tells us had some deep flaws, even though he was virtuous at the end. Uh, Esav, there's no need to elaborate on. Yitzchak has 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 Esav, but only Yaakov has a family that are all pure tzaddikim who represent unity. And you look in Kabbalah, the number twelve that's really thirteen because Yaakov's included. The twelve sons who's really thirteen that runs through everything. 
that's that's uh, light through so a prism. So so the twelve shvatim, the shivtei ka, represent the perfection that Yaakov's life was. Everything that happens in Yaakov's life is a, is, a, is a message through all of history. The tensions, the struggles, the conflicts, the fact that everybody was conspiring to get Yaakov and he was unflappable. He made it through everything. He was the strong, suffering Jew and, and, and survived through uh, against the odds. Only Yaakov Avinu, together with two other figures in history, sees the end of days. Uh, he sees everything. He tries at the end of Parshish Vayechi to transmit it to his sons, but Hashem makes it disappear from him. He can't do that. Who are the other two figures who see all of history? No, it's true. That's a good guess because Yechezkel sees parts of history. He sees his his vision of the third temple is the most comprehensive. So that's a fair guess. But who sees all of history? No, not even Yirmiyahu. No, Moshe Rabbeinu also is privy to the to seeing all of history and Daniel. Daniel sees all of history, and when Daniel sees all of history, he falls ill. Daniel in the, during Galus Bavel. Daniel falls ill for three weeks through a nevuah, through prophecy. Hashem sends him an image, and there's a reason for it. Does he look crazy? No, he does not. Daniel is a big tzaddy. Uh, he actually is reduced. He's brought down. He becomes hatach in the story of Purim, the Purim story. He's reduced to being Esther's servant for all kinds of interesting reasons. Go look it up there. The uh, the Shvatim are the ultimate power of the Jews when we're united, we're capable of bringing the Mashiach, of revelation, of giving the Torah. How were we by Harsina? We needed unity. We were Ishachad Belevachad. We were one people, one heart, one spirit. When we're divided, it's toxic. Klal Yisrael divided, as sadly we are today, we got to work against that. We got to we got to work together because um, disunity is our is our Achilles heel. That's the story of Purim, by the way. Haman gets us at our Achilles heel because he sees what does he call Am Yisrael? He says Am Mefuradu Mefuzar, a, a, a separate, scattered people. And we were back then. And then we Baruch Hashem through the inspiration of Mordechai and Esther, their leaders, they managed to rally together in a rare show of unity. Uh, that's 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 our that's our only saving grace in history. Go ahead. Where are the Shvatim? Um, where are the Shvatim? Yeah. We'll get there on Sunday. But I want to do very quickly. I have a minute left, or am I over time? I'm okay still. Okay, I'll, I'll do. I want to do quickly Shibud Mitzrayim. We went down to Egypt. The Jews, the Jews went down to. How are we? Is this too much? Am I am I oversaturating? Us? That's, the, that's the downside of the crash course in history. All right, you can give me feedback. I can moderate this as as, as you see, as uh, with with your feedback. The um, Shibud Mitzrayim in approximately the year 1451 before the Common Era, Yosef dies, and in a short time, the Jews experience unpa- unparalleled population explosion. Uh, they make them an overly visible. Uh, minority. It leads to problems. Again, we do better when we're beneath the radar. Uh, when is the only other time in history there's a massive population explosion? You know this? Right no, 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 not right now. Not right now. No, 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 no. In the 19th century, in the 19th century, especially in, in Eastern Europe, the Jewish population in the world jumped. These are estimates. They don't know for sure. At the beginning of the 19th century, that's the 1800s, there were approximately 4 million Jews in the world. By the end, there were 16 million. We quadrupled in, in 100 years. So the two points in history, there's a massive population explosion. Perhaps then, then it's to reflect the fact that we were growing into a nation. And perhaps today, perhaps we were, we were, uh, we were leaning towards uh, Mashiach, towards the Messianic era. The emerging nation that comes in Mitzrayim goes through a necessary, we have to go down and come back up, up again. We went through this process of Shibu to know how it would be, pro- how it would be properly to be an Evan Hashem. We had to know how to serve man before we could serve Hashem, uh, Hashem properly. 
Um, the people that emerges are a high-spirited, high-spirited, intelligent people. They have prophets of the likes of Moshe and Amram and others uh, that were before them. They were Chachamim. They kept their Messiah. They were on a very, very elevated level. So when Chazal say that they almost sunk to the 49 levels of impurity of Tuma that was in Egypt, um, we have to understand what that means. And we'll pick up from the Egypt story. We'll be reborn and leave Egypt next Sunday. Bezrat.